2: Hello and welcome to SEN Baseball for another week. I'm Xavier Player and joining me this week is Aaron Rose. Aaron, how are you, mate? Doing well. Good week. Very good week indeed. Uh, No fritter in today. He sends his apologies. A few extenuating circumstances, so just the two of us this morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Big week and a lot to get through this week. Coming up, we've got a lot of MLB talk and we're going to be joined by Bill Ladson, who is the MLB.com writer for the Washington Nationals.
1: Very excited to have him.
2: Uh, Biggest news probably this week is Ichiro Suzuki, who uh, passes Pete Rose for all-time hits, although Ichiro's hits are combined between NPB and Major League Baseball. Big talking point during the week with a lot of people was, yes, he's got to 4,257, which is a wonderful achievement. Does that, however, deserve the recognition that it's getting?
1: Well, so so he played up until he was 27 in the Japanese League. Correct. uh, Where he came over and won the uh, Player of the Year and the Rookie of the Year in the same season. So he was definitely a late starter and a late comer to Major League Baseball. As for recognition, I don't know why people feel this urge to make things things that they're not, for lack of better terms. He has has now passed uh, Pete Rose for the most hits all time in, I guess professional baseball but he isn't in the same category as pete rose he ha he doesn't have 400 4256 major league hits <laughs> no
2: he doesn't and look we're just going to quickly listen to the audio of him getting the hit to pass pete rose here that is
0: giving up on a base runner play where you assume you're out especially when you're a middle infielder each on a right field and into the corner standing around second headed for third Kemp picks it off the wall and each row with two hits now,
1: 4,257.
2: Very interesting there. There's not celebration as such, but it's all, It's I think it's a great fact. It needs to be acknowledged. 4,257 <coughs> hits in a professional baseball career is outstanding. I'm not uh, disagreeing with that point at all. However, my concern is is that, as you said before, he doesn't have 4,257 Major League Baseball hits.
1: So I'll throw a question back at you. What do you think is a more impressive feat for him or statistic for him? Breaking Pete Rose's all-time hits record in world baseball or having 3,000 hits in Major League Baseball, starting at the age of 27?
2: I think having 3,000 hits in Major League Baseball... Coming up soon. He's not there yet. No, but he will get there this year. I think having those 3,000 hits is far more important, probably more important to him as well. I also think you look at the fact that when he came across in 2001, he won the Rookie of the Year, he won the MVP, and he had 10 straight 200-hit seasons. I think if you asked him to look back on what he's proud of, the fact he had 10 straight 200-hit seasons and is the only person to do that, that's the biggest thing.
1: Yeah, and and he started an era where teams began to look at Japanese players, not just Japanese pitchers. So he's been a, a completely revolutionary player. And we're not, I'm not taking away anything from his hits record, but I think that they're not in the same category, the two statistics. Now, if he started at the age of 21, like we're seeing players nowadays, maybe he'd break that record. Maybe he'd blow blow by it. But... I think the more impressive record is almost 3,000 home runs, or 3,000 hits.
2: I definitely do as well, and I think something you talked about there, it was an era where Japanese position players were starting to get a look in. It was also an era where the game was being dominated by the long ball. You look at the likes of Mark Maguire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, and this is a guy who, who revolutionized not only how the ball was hit, but how the field was set and the shift... Even He was one of the few who had outfield shifts put on him, right? And he was, he was halfway
1: down first base, like when the ball hit when the bat, because he'd just almost throw the bat out there and
2: be, he'd sprint down first base, the first base line. And we've both seen him play live, so we've seen that excitement live, and I have to say that I think he is probably the most exciting player I've ever seen. Excitement in a different sense. He doesn't. He's not a home run hitter, no. obviously.
1: But he 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 just gets on base almost better than anyone else, and he can steal. And he was
2: just he's a freak of nature. Just this thin little guy who just couldn't be stopped. No. Speaking of people who can't be stopped, we're going to move on. Jake Arrieta, who gets a lot of airtime on this show, and rightfully so. One of the best pitchers in the game, if not the best pitcher in the game at the moment. His last 34 starts, a 1.20 ERA, 240 innings pitched, given up 133 hits, struck out 248 hitters, allowed five home runs, and has a whip of point seven nine. Just phenomenal. Yeah, there, there's nothing that hasn't been said already. He's he's a freak of nature. And, and we talked a few
1: weeks ago with Kerry Muscat of the MLB.com for the Chicago Cubs. And just the fact that he came almost out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, from the Baltimore Orioles and has thrown together this second half of his career that's been completely exceptional is, is an impressive feat on its own.
2: One of the big talking points when he came across from Baltimore was his delivery wasn't as effective as he thought it could be, and we've seen those delivery changes since he landed in Chicago, and obviously that's what's propelled him to the next level. If you're the Orioles' front office, are you looking at this guy now and going, I wish we had have listened when he said, my delivery's not right. Let me do something different. You see that kind of stuff all
1: the time as a Blue Jays fan, um, whether it's Jose Bautista coming across from the Pittsburgh Pirates and them kicking themselves for letting a guy go who's now a perennial all-star. Um, when you see a player who goes from nothing, rags to riches, um, I assume the old team's got to be kicking. Or even even David Ortiz went from Minnesota. They let, they let him go, and now he's an all-time great for your Boston Red Sox.
2: We'll come to the Red Sox in a second because that's a very interesting topic between the two of us, you being a Jays fan, myself being a Red Sox fan. But as a Jays fan, how do you feel now looking at the R.A. Dickey trade? I think it was in an era, or it was at a time when Alex
1: Anthopoulos, the former Blue Jays general manager, was making moves and he was wheeling and dealing because he had just pulled off the Marlins trade with – Someone we might talk about later getting Jose Reyes. They brought in Mark Burley, Josh Johnson, um, Emilio Bonifacio, and John Buck to throw in pieces. But obviously, looking back on it, I I wish we didn't do it. I wish I had Noah Syndergaard instead of RA Dickey and Josh Tolley. But at the time, it was a trade. I wasn't mad when it happened. In hindsight, it's twenty twenty. But you can't you can't judge trades. Um, like that. You have to look at the time that they were made and kind of make a decision. Was it a good trade or was it a bad trade at the time?
2: Definitely. Now we're going to briefly stick within the AL East and you've got, you've got a few thoughts on the Red Sox you want to share. Well,
1: we, I make fun of you off the air because you seem to be a self-hating Red Sox fan who can't see that they are a dominant team. They are almost unstoppable. Those three teams, Baltimore, Toronto and the Red Sox seem unstoppable offensively.
2: I will say what I've often said, which is we don't have the pitching to get through a 162-game season and continue to be unstoppable. So I'm looking at what's going to happen, not what is happening. So, yeah, bit of self-loathing going on there. Not going to deny that at all. All right, we've got to move on. Uh, Jose Albatista has hit the 15-day DL list with an injured toe after kicking an outfield wall.
1: The game was a blowout, which makes this way more unfortunate that Blue Jays were blowing out the Phillies. And he, he had a comment uh, yesterday or earlier today where he said if he would have been an inch closer to the wall or an inch farther from the wall, there would have been no injury. It's just bad luck. And an interesting idea is the notion that if a game's a blowout, should a player go full out, go diving after balls or running as hard as he can into the wall? And from what I've heard in interviews in the past, once you take your foot off the gas pedal, once you stop going 100%, that's when you hurt yourself.
2: Exactly right. When you drop below your level that your body is expecting, that is when you're going to do damage. Talk about blowout games. And Freddie Freeman hit the first cycle of 2016 for the Atlanta Braves the other day. Their first cycle as a club since 2008, I believe. And you asked me before we came on if... Well, I'll ask you on air the okay. question. Okay, go. The,
1: I asked you earlier, if you're in a blowout situation and you're a single away from the cycle and the eighth inning, the ninth inning, and you hit what is probably going to be a double, a liner to the gap between the fielders, do you stop at first base instead of taking the double? Absolutely, I do. To me, that makes absolutely no sense. In everyone's mind, and and I'm sure you would agree with me, a double is better than a single.
2: Yes, there is no arguing that. However it's not easy to hit for the cycle. And if you've got that opportunity, it's one of those little things I feel that baseballers like to be able to check off their career bucket list. I've hit for a cycle as a professional. You might not have done that in the minor leagues. You get up to the bigs and you've got a chance to hit for a cycle, something that maybe happens two to three times a year. Then you're going to take that, particularly in a blowout game, whether you're up 10-1 to or you're down 10-1, to you're going to take that shot for just a nice little personal touch right now the cycle is it's famous because it is the cycle but wouldn't you agree that a home run triple and two doubles is almost or is certainly a better game than a cycle It is, but statistically, if you can say to someone, I had a game where I hit for the cycle, they're going to go, that's cool, you've hit for the cycle. If you say, I had a game where I had two doubles, a triple, and a home run, that's a great game, but it's not the cycle. I think there is an allure within the cycle that would draw people to going, okay, I've got something I can potentially turn into a double here, and I'm going to take my foot off it. One wasn't going for the cycle. I think it was Craig Biggio, or it may have been Lance Berkman. I can't remember. One of them, they're... 2000th hit, I believe, was a single they were trying to stretch into a double and they were out at second. Now, if I'm getting my, I think it was, might have been 3000th, 2000 or 3000th hit, and I'm trying to stretch a single into a double, I want to be on base safely when I'm reaching that milestone. In, in this hypothetical question, you would be safe at second. Maybe, maybe it was even a triple. No, still taking the single.
1: <laughs> That's crazy to me.
2: Uh, but no, because you don't. You don't get that opportunity every day, but that's another story. Uh, David Wright has been very unlucky with injuries all throughout his career, it seems. He just can't catch a break in. He's going to have neck surgery and is unlikely to return in 2016. The Mets are, at the moment, sitting five games behind the Nationals. We saw last year the Mets clinching that division, making a World Series run after the Nats imploded in the last few months. How big a loss is this going to be for a team who already look like they're going to struggle to get back to postseason action? they have, even since last year, they've struggled offensively. They brought in
1: Cespedes last year, at the trade deadline to bolster their offense. And losing David Wright seems like a perennial injury for him. He he constantly is going down, but he's definitely a guy who can hit and would bolster that, their offensive output. But their the backbone of that team is their ridiculous pitching staff. Led by, or maybe not led by, I would say led by actually, Noah Syndergaard.
2: Absolutely. And I think that their pitching is probably in the top two or three rotations across the entire league but if you're not scoring runs it doesn't matter how well you're pitching you do need that offensive support and they just can't seem to find a groove baseball is a game of ebbs and flows but they just haven't been able to be on a consistent run offensively for more than four or five days at a time and I think that's got to be really worrying for the Mets front office they're looking at going we scored so freely last year what's happened and I think and you mentioned it before bringing in Cespedes to bolster their offense has actually backfired on them. I think he certainly
1: has some issues, but he is a an offensive juggernaut and certainly was last year. They they will be a team that will make some moves at the deadline. I know as a Jays fan, we're constantly looking and saying, "Can we make a can we make a deal where we send you a Bautista or, or an Encarnacion for a for one of their stud pitchers?" But realistically, that's not a trade that's going to happen.
2: Another player who's had their share of issues across their career is Jose Reyes, who was this week released by the Colorado Rockies, he's expected to earn $22 million in 2016. I have one lingering question after his release. Is his career over? He, I would say no.
1: I think he he will not be a starting shortstop in the major leagues anytime soon. He has He's defensively inept, and as a Blue Jays fan who watched him play, he those throws over to first base. You're you're praying that he can actually make it, and he he has almost no range, but he he can still hit for average. He'll steal a few bags. He's not the threat he once was, and he's as we said about David Wright, he's an injury-prone player. But if he can move to left field, or if he can come off the bench and make a few hit or and have a few hits, he might not be over. He's certainly not going to make twenty-two million dollars with another team. Colorado's going to have to eat the vast majority. Of that contract. And I'm not sure he's the kind of player that would go down to the minors. But if he can find his way onto the bench of another team or have a position change, which might be a huge ego blow to him, I could see him back in the majors.
2: I want you to take a quick look at the standings and try and find me a team who you think would not only benefit from having him, but given their track record, would actually go, okay, this is a guy we want to take a risk on. We're looking at the Rockies at the moment, a 32 and 33 club, eight games out of first. And I just don't see another team. I don't see him fitting back in an American League lineup. And I don't see another team in the National League that would go, oh, here's some value for a guy where, okay, we're not going to have to pay him $22 million, as you said, but we're still going to have to pay him some significant money. He's not going to play for minimum. He He's still going to make $22 million from Colorado. Yeah. No matter what we d- We don't have to pay him that $22 million, but we might have to contribute something. I could see him...
1: Now now i 'm just taking a shot in the dark. There were rumors connecting him to the kansas City Royals now i 'm not sure Kansas City wants to have a guy like that. We know we''re, we're right now we 're talking about his on the field issues, but we know about his suspension. We know about his domestic uh, assault issues so he is he is i don 't want to say a cancerous player, but he comes with baggage for sure so that that might be the bigger problem We know he's He's, he's a diminishing asset uh, as on the field, but he definitely comes with baggage off the field that some teams might
2: be wary about. I think that the league is getting to a point now where the off-field actions are starting to become as big an issue as the on-field actions. We saw a Aroldis Chapman miss the first 43 games of the season. We've seen other minor suspensions, of course, across the years, and I think they're really taking a hard-line stance on it now. And as you said, is it worth... The off field issues for potential on field on one side of the ball? I think
1: it depends who you are. And we want to live in this perfect world where if you're a bad guy, you don't get to play. And we don't want you because you're a bad guy. But we're hearing teams dying to get a Rondas Chapman. And we're going to talk to Bill Lassen later about the notion of the Washington Nationals bringing in a Chapman. And earlier in the year, the LA Dodgers. They had a trade in place for Chapman, and it fell apart when they found out about the domestic abuse incident. But teams are trying to get this guy, and he comes with off-the-field baggage. But if you can play, and if you can pitch and hit, or whatever it is that you can do really well, teams are going to want you.
2: One last one before we go to our first break, and i joined by Bill Ladson from MLB.com very soon, is... Is there a potential for Reyes to play internationally, be it a Japan, a Korea, a China, somewhere like that? Do you think that's something he would explore as a player at this point in his career?
1: I, I don't, personally,
2: I don't know Jose Reyes, and neither of us do, and we, couldn't, we, we have no
1: idea what's going on in his head. What I imagine I know about him is he has an ego. And he's not going to want to say, as I said, I I can't imagine he wants to play in the minor leagues, in the American minor league system, something I said a little bit earlier. But I'm not sure if maybe he'd go home and play in Dominican League. Maybe he'd go across uh, an ocean and play somewhere else in Japan or Korea. But I I don't know. I'm not going to try and get into his head and and explain what he's thinking right now.
2: It's going to be an interesting scenario. And we will keep an eye on that over the next few weeks as things continue to unfold. We're going to head to a break very quickly, but stick with us because after the break, we are going to be joined by Bill Ladson from MLB.com.
1: Baseball is the largest spectator sport in the world. In 2015 alone, over 73 million people attended professional games in the United States. With 65 million people playing in over 100 countries around the world, baseball is the world's second largest participation sport. Baseball is truly a game that everyone can enjoy. It's free to try and cheap to play, but most importantly, it's fun for all. From t-ball and little league to seniors and masters, for the young and the young at heart, Baseball is the perfect game for boys and girls and mums and dads too. With over 105 local clubs in Victoria, get started by going to www.baseballvictoria.com.au to see how you can get involved
2: today. Welcome back to SEN Baseball. Joining us now on the line is Bill Latson, Washington Nationals writer for MLB.com. Bill, thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. Uh,
2: very interesting start to the season for the Nationals. They seem to have picked up where they were... Headed on a trajectory until about August last year when things fell apart. What's the mood like in Washington at the moment surrounding the Nationals?
0: Everyone's in a great mood. Um, it's a big difference between last year, that's for sure. And the uh, the person I credit the most is Dusty Baker. Uh, Dusty Baker has created a family atmosphere in that locker room, and uh, it's more friendlier, believe it or not. Um than it was in 2014 uh, when they won the division as well. So I think the big difference is Dusty Baker. Everyone is playing. Everyone is getting a chance to play, and uh, that's why you know, they have the second-best record in baseball.
1: You, you said the second-best record in baseball. We all know the first-best record in baseball is the Chicago Cubs. How do you, you guys just came off a great series, took two of three from the Cubs. How does the city feel, and how do you feel uh, comparing the Nationals and the Cubs?
0: Well, um, the one thing I have to say now, I think they're going to be competitive if they ever meet in the uh, National Championship Series, for sure. Um, I think uh, the Nationals sent a loud message that it's not going to be easy um, against them. And uh, the Cubs, I think they show that their bullpen is really vulnerable right now. And I think uh, the Nationals could go all the way this year. I, I know it's early to say that, but I really like their starting pitching. Um, I like that now John Kelly's their closer. The Nationals are going to pick up a closer no matter what before the trade deadline. So I think they're going to be even better by the time the second half starts.
1: Do you have a name of that closer? It sounds like there's an arms race going on between you guys and the Cubs for maybe a Yankees reliever.
0: Uh, That is correct. I've written it uh, several times. Um, It could be either Andrew Miller. Or uh, a Robles Chapman. So those, if they could get one of those two guys, or even both, um, the Nationals are going to be unstoppable. Because it, and if you look at their starting pitching, it's unreal. So uh, I'm expecting them to go far in the playoffs uh, if they stay healthy.
2: Daniel Murphy was one of the key additions to the Nationals through the off season. Looking at that move from an NL East perspective, in addition to what he's added to the Nationals, what do you think he's taken away from the Mets? Consistent hitting.
0: I mean, like, I watched the Mets uh, pretty good, and uh, I don't think they have the offense that they had last year. I mean, yes, they added uh, Cespedes, but minus Daniel Murphy, I just, I I don't think the Mets thought he would be this good. Now, he was hot during the postseason. But he wasn't this good during the regular season. I think that's what they miss now. I think they miss his regular season performance. Um, That's what they're missing right now.
1: The other team that is starting to get some recognition in the National League is the Giants. How do you think the Nationals stack up with the Giants?
0: I think they stack up. But you know what, though? With Bruce Bochy there, I never underestimate the Giants. Because to tell you the truth... um, The Nationals should have beaten the Giants in 2014 in the uh, National League Division Series. So somehow they find a way to get the job done. So I never underestimate the Giants, not as long as Bruce Bochy's there. Plus they have a center fielder who used to play for the Nationals named Denard Spann. And adding Denard Spann is really going to help the Giants because they have a leadoff hitter, quality defensive player. So um, it's going to be big time for the Giants.
2: The Nats are known for having a few big personalities in the clubhouse, the likes of Worth and Harper and Papelbon. We've seen things between Papelbon and Harper come to a head. As someone who sees those guys interacting on a daily basis, what's the relationship like between those two now?
0: Well, it's, it's great, actually. Um, you know, it wasn't a big deal. The biggest worry was really the fans. The fans had a problem with him, but I don't think they have a problem with Papelbon now. So, uh, I mean, that's been so long ago, way even before spring training started, because uh, Bryce Harper went to see Papelbon. They had a talk, and uh, things were settled really after the season ended. So, um, and personally, I I could be wrong. I don't think Papelbon's going to be there by the second half anyway, because they're going to be getting a closer uh, by then anyway. So that's about it.
1: To touch on that that comment you just made, you think Papelbaum will be traded or will be out of the closer position?
0: I think we'll be out of the closer position. He could be traded. It's going to be hard to trade him um, because, you know, he's not the same Jonathan Papelbaum that we saw with the Boston Red Sox. So I'm I'm just telling you, um, I think it's going to be hard to trade him. I don't know if he would accept being the closer and not being a a setup guy. So I I don't know. I mean, it, it depends.
1: So you don't think he would he would fit into another role just because of his ego?
0: I don't I don't see it. I mean I could be wrong. I mean this is a guy who when he first came to the Nationals, who said he wanted to break Mariano Rivera's record, um, saves records. So, oh I don't know. I mean it depends on how he feels. If he wants to win another championship, then I'll say he can stick around and you know become a setup man or whatever. But uh, I find it hard to believe he would accept anything but a closer role.
2: One of the more interesting debates in baseball at the moment is the debate between Bryce Harper and Mike Trout. We've been fortunate in the show to, in the past, speak with a journalist from the Los Angeles Times who's weighed in on this subject. Where do you sit in the Harper versus Trout debate as someone who sees Harper every day?
0: Two years ago, I would have said without question, Trout won big time. I would say he would have won big time. But after watching him uh, last year and watching him again this year, I have to give it to Bryce Harper because Bryce Harper is becoming almost like Barry Bonds now. I mean, teams, opposing teams are afraid to pitch to him. I mean, he leads the, uh, the majors in walks. His on-base percentage is really high because of it. And uh, Bryce Harper, even though the batting average is low, I still see that Bryce Harper is still patient, patient out there. And he's doing everything to help his team win. So I say right now, Bryce Harper is number one. And also, too, Bryce Harper has improved dramatically defensively um, since he was switched over to right field. So I, from a defensive standpoint, I say it's a tie between him and Trout. Offensively, I'll still give it. i give it to Bryce Harper right now.
1: I, I can imagine you hate fielding these questions because you want to live in the present and you want to talk about how good the Nationals are right now. But... What's Harper's contract situation looking like? And what do you think the first digit of his next contract is going to be?
0: Well, first of all, it's really too early to talk about his contract because he has three more years left. And, uh, obviously it's going to be up there. It's going to be close to, uh, Michael's, um, I think he's calling him Mike. It's Giancarlo Stanton. It's, it's, it's going to be up there because he's a, uh, he's a difference maker. Um, I'm talking about uh, Harper as a difference maker. I mean, I mean, anyone's talking about $500 million, I, I That's hard for me to say. I mean, right now I'm not uh, close to the front office in terms of wh- how much they're looking at. But I'm sure it's going to be up there. I'm, I'm sure he's going to be close to Stanton, um, Stanton's contract. So I would say we'd be right up there.
1: Um, another, another question for you is, there's been rumors that Ryan Braun has been in trade discussions. The Brewers are struggling right now. Could you see the Nationals going out and acquiring an outfielder along with a closer?
0: You know what? There's a possibility they could go after a hitter. I don't know if it was Ryan, Ryan Braun. I know considering you know what he's gone through the last few years. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see it. I'll be surprised. But now I could see them going after a guy like Carl Beltran, who is, uh, who is who has great a great record in October. Um, he's real. He's having a great year now, so I could see that happening. Um, but with Brian, i would be shocked if they went after Ryan Bron, because Brian Braun has quite a few years left on his contract. And the question is, how you gonna how is he gonna fit in when um, you have Jason Worth who has another year left? You have Ben Revere, and you also have Bryce Harper. So that's going to be hard to play him now. With Beltran, Beltron's a free agent, so I can I can see that happening, and you can you can give a rest to Revere, some rest to uh, Worth. So I I can see that happen.
2: Just want to look back on your career as a journalist a little bit. You started covering this organization when they were the Montreal Expos, and obviously a lot's changed in that fourteen-year period. How differently do you Correct. see Montreal and Washington as baseball towns?
0: Well, you know, I think... Uh, that's a good question. I thought Montreal was underrated. You know, like, uh, I, believe it or not, I, I thought the television gave Montreal a bad reputation because when you watch the Expos, in my case, Mets games, I, I thought the uh, Olympic team looked ugly. But when I actually went there... I thought it was beautiful. I thought the fans were great. They always blame the fans for the team moving, but that's not true. And uh, I, I thought Montreal, was, it was the best two years I ever had. Uh, it was a great baseball town. And compared to Washington, I thought it took the, the baseball fans in Washington a while to really get to know the team as far as getting knowledge. For example, um, it took a long time. For fans to get over Michael Morris. But they had to get, you had, they had to trade away Michael Morris because defensively he wasn't that good. He was always getting hurt. And I, I think it took a while for fans to understand it. Now I think the fans in DC are smart and uh, they get what's going on and uh, they, they know uh, they want to see their team win a championship for sure.
1: As a Canadian who lives in Montreal and has been to the Big O, do you think there could be a team? Do you think that, uh, Montreal is the next city to get a team, or a relocation, or expansion?
0: It's hard to say uh, because I think uh, what has to improve there is not so much the fans. It's uh, you know they you know corporate Canada has to be interested in base in baseball again. You know they got to get a cable deal, a big one. They got to um, you know get a stadium because I mean, since you said you live there. Um, no one wants to play where Olympic Stadium was located. So they want to go downtown. If they can get those things together, then, yeah, I could see, yeah, Montreal getting another team again. It deserves it. Um, the fans, I was there in 2003 when they were in the pennant race, and I'm telling you, it was great to watch how the fans reacted. It wasn't empty. It was it was great to see. And ha- having them saying um, Valerie, Valera, it was phenomenal.
2: We know that the Nationals are looking good at Major League level at the moment. Can you tell us a little bit about their farm system and how that's looking?
0: Farm system is really looking good. As you know, they, they like to draft players who uh, had Tommy John surgery because they have a reputation of getting them fixed. And they have, you know, they have great years because of it. Um, I think the farm system is going to be helping out sometime this year. They have a great shortstop by the name of uh, Trey Turner who's in Syracuse. Uh Giolito, another pitcher who could be helping them right after the all star break if some pitchers are not doing well. And uh he's in the double A. Harrisburg. He's been dominating. I gotta tell you, um, Giolito has been fun to watch. So, um I mean the Nationals will never run out of uh players in the farm system could because uh they have a pretty good farm system right now.
1: As a Blue Jays fan, there's constant talk about sending Aaron Sanchez, a young pitcher, to the bullpen to save his arm and limit his innings pitched. As a Nationals writer, what is your thought on this situation of either sending a player to the bullpen early or limiting a pitch count um, in regards to Strasburg's history?
0: Well, it, I think it depends on the pitcher. I mean, i give you a good, good example of the Cardinals was Trevor Rosenthal. Trevor Rosenthal, Rosenthal was supposed to be this great starter, and then all of a sudden he became a dominant closer. As matter of fact, it was Trevor Rosenthal who hurt the Nationals out of the bullpen in 2012 um, in, the, in the playoffs. So um, I think it depends uh, on uh, who the pitcher is. And uh, because Strasburg, I think what they did with Strasburg, for a long time I was against what the Nationals did with Strasburg, shutting him down in 2012. But now, I think they did the right thing. And look, if you look at their history with Jordan Zimmerman, Strasburg, Giolito is another one, I, I, you can't go wrong with what uh, the Nationals have done. So, uh, And he's still a starter now. So uh, I think uh, they're going about it the right way.
1: So you believe that regardless of the, how, how a player is pitching, obviously situations are different, but if a, player's, if a young pitcher is pitching really well, sometimes you've got to do what's best for him and shut him down? Yes,
0: yes, I, I really do. I mean, for a long time I thought it was wrong for the Nationals to do what they did because they were in the playoff race. And obviously, you know, I'm one of many who believe that had Strasburg pitched in the playoffs, they would have won. Uh, against the Cardinals. But as I say that, um, Strasburg has now received a new extension. His arm is good. And I think it shows that the Nationals did a great job in terms of how they handled his arm. They didn't rush him. Um, They really, you know, look what they did. I mean, they sacrificed their postseason because of it. So I think um, they're looking out for the player more for the than they do for the team so I think that's a great thing and um, they should be proud what they did with Strasburg.
1: I'll send another blue Jays related question over to you the Storin Revere trade how does how do the nationals feel about it now and how do you feel about it now
0: well I think they had no choice but to trade Hugh Storin after what they did last year um, he was having a great year and then once they picked up Pavel bond, you, I know he said it didn't bother him. It did, and uh, they they had to make that trade. Now with uh, Revere, now I, I think Revere is a good player. He's he's off to a slow start. I'd rather have DeNard Span, but but since they don't, I I think the Nationals definitely um, you know have the best deal, the better deal in in that case. Um, I'd rather have him over Drew Storm right now.
2: One last one for you before we wrap things up is we want you to put your crystal ball glasses on, I guess, look into your crystal ball and tell us, where do you think the season ends for the Nationals? Does it end in a dog pile in the World Series? Does it end in the LCS? What do you think?
0: Well, I predicted they would go um, to the World Series. I did. I made this prediction uh, early this year and I, I really do think, I think Dusty Baker is a big difference. I mean, you know i underestimated dusty baker because i thought he was going to do the same things that matt williams did no stealing bases and you know no small ball anything like that but i got to tell you dusty baker's doing all that and uh, and then some and i think because of dusty baker they're going to go all the way
2: who do you see as the most likely candidate from the AL to make the World Series? Sorry to, sorry to stick on this topic, but we're and seeing in the fun. AL at the moment it's a league where there's no clear standout. Wow. Uh, you know, if they can get some pitching, starting
0: pitching, the Baltimore Orioles can be really something else. They have the offense. No question. The bullpen's there. If they can get some dominant starting pitching... I mean, Abaldo Jimenez is not going to cut it. Uh, if they can get that together, watch out because, you know, I can never underestimate Buck Walker. So, I have, right now, I have to say the Baltimoreans.
2: Very interesting. Bill, that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a fantastic chat, and we'll certainly be keeping a close eye on the Nationals over the coming weeks and months.
0: Anytime. Take care, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Fantastic chat there with Bill Ladson from MLB.com. And you can follow Bill on Twitter at Washing Nats, W A S H I N G N A T S. Great read. Uh, Really, really had a great time chatting with him today. Yeah, he writes some wonderful stuff and he had offered some great insight into someone who are going to be a contender come postseason. Do you see them beating the
1: Cubs in the conference finals?
2: Uh, In the NLCS, I do not, only because the Cubs are going to have home field. If this was a series where home field was in Washington... Then this could be a completely different discussion, but also you've got to look at the pitching matchups there, and there are some great pitching matchups: Arietta versus Scherzer. Who else have we got there? That's probably the highlight, and that would be a great matchup for anyone to watch. Now, if they got matched up perfectly in this perfect yes. world,
1: it'd probably be Arietta Scherzer, Lester Strasberg, John Lackey against Gio Gonzalez, and Liam Hendrick or not Liam, Kyle Hendricks against Tanner Rourke.
2: See, I give advantage Cubs in those first two matchups potentially advantage to John Lackey because of his postseason experience, and who knows? So you have the Cubs winning in five or four or five? I I would say five or six is probably more realistic. I can give some leeway to the fact that Arrieta or Leicester might have a bad start. I'm looking at if they pitch at 100% of what their capabilities are, it should be Cubs in five. But you've got to have that leeway there. So in, in the World Series Cubs-Red Sox,
1: who do you think is going to win?
2: Uh, Theo Epstein. Good call. I think so too. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been a fantastic show. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at SEN America. And we will catch you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the SEN MLB podcast. For more SEN America podcasts, head to sen.com.au.